Amen? Hallelujah. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Hallelujah. We're going to start a new series today. Something that's kind of been on my heart for the past few months. You've you got to understand, when I get these things, I don't get them overnight. I don't get them in the weeks leading up, you know. Uh, I, I know there are some pastors that even get, you know, more timely than I. You know, I know there's pastors out there, they've got their whole year planned. They know exactly what they're preaching. They can tell you what they're going to do in September and November. I'm not that guy. Uh, you know, Chase uh, being our media guy, he, sometimes I would frustrate him a little bit because he'd be wanting to get artwork and stuff out, and I'd say, I got nothing. Uh, you know, but at the same time, these things are stirring within me, and I'm always constantly drawing on that. And this is something that was kind of stirring in me, and going into last weekend, uh, God kind of confirmed some things when Pastor Earl was here. How many of you enjoyed that? Amen. Some blessed services. I hope that you receive something and continue meditating on those things. But last weekend kind of confirmed some things for me uh, that we need to talk about challenges. We need to talk about trials. We need to talk about tests in life. Um, and the premise of this series, our series is called Challenges and Challengers. Challenges and Challengers. Life is full of challenges and life is full of challengers. And the premise of this series, what I've come to recognize is the teacher and the student have two different perspectives of the same test. One desires and one rejects. One knows the outcome and the, one and the other only sees themselves going into it. And what I want to help shape in the next several weeks through this series as we minister and look at trials and adversities and challenges in life what I, what I want to shape is not this mentality of avoiding trials. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today, that uh, you are working way too hard in life if you're trying to avoid trials and challenges. But if we can see properly with the right perspective what a challenge, what adversity, what um, obstruction in life really does for us, you will welcome trials in your life. You will welcome adversity in your life. Not welcome as in you're just running around looking for trouble. But you'll welcome the results and the rewards. Just by a show of hands, and I know this is a silly question, but just by a show of hands, uh, who is currently going through a trial in your life? Something you would consider a trial or a challenge. Something is challenging me right now. We could be talking about our marriage, and you don't have to look to the left or to the right. <laughs> You, you could be talking about your finances. You could be talking about your kids. They're in the other room. It's okay. You could be talking about work. You could be talking about favor. Uh, you could be talking about your mindset. If maybe we're battling with some depression and anxiety in life. You, you could be battling anything. And I'm going to tell you today that these next three or four weeks, however long we go, is going to open your eyes to the test in your life to the test in your life. And here in Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 17, it says this, it says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests 
and to the scribes. And they will, content, they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus here obviously is giving testament, is giving a, a, a picture of what's to come in the next several in the upcoming months, this is getting really close here, and he's explaining to his disciples, as he has done previously, you know, Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. He's not pulling any surprises. Although his disciples acted all surprised when he was arrested, uh, he was easily able to look at them and said, I've been explaining to you this the whole time. You just haven't been listening. And he's giving a picture now of what is to come. And we know what's to come. And and us on the flip side of this thing, on the other side, us in the A.D. version of life now, know what Jesus endured, but we know the outcome, don't we? We know the victory that's been won. We know the blood that's been shed. We know the sins that have been covered. We know the grace that's been poured out. We know what was revealed in the cross and the resurrection. But Jesus here is giving a picture to his disciples of what's coming. Now, look what happens next. The mother... Of the, of the Zebedee's sons, that's James and John. James and John were brothers. They were brothers, and Jesus had called them to be disciples together. And so their mom shows up, and look, every mom wants to have this conversation with Jesus. There's moms that are having this conversation with Jesus right now. They came, she came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. This is a mother's request right here. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. That's a place of authority, by the way. See, they recognize Jesus as a king. And now she's asking him something about his kingdom. Because Jesus wasn't a religious figure. Jesus wasn't a super spiritual guy. He came as a government official. He came as a king. That's all he talked about. Multiple parables. Over 120 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John does Jesus mention the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he even stood before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18 and said, you say rightly that I am a king. See, he portrayed this so much that this woman is taking him literally here and say, in your kingdom, since you're the king, you're the one in authority, I want my two sons, one on the right and one on the left. I want them in a place of honor. I want them in a place of position. I want them in a, in a, uh, in a position of authority with rights and benefits and privileges seated next to you. But look at Jesus' response. <coughs> but Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? What is that cup? Well, he just explained it. I'm about to be lifted up to the enemy. I'm about to endure trials and tribulation. The cup that he's speaking of is a cup of sorrow, a cup of suffering, a cup of adversity, 
And he says here, if you want to rise to greatness, you're going to have to be able to drink the cup. You're going to have to be able to take of the cup I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. He's not talking about that baptism when he showed up to John the Baptist and went underwater. He's not talking about a, a, a cup of juice, a cup of Gatorade, a, a, a cup of the good stuff. He's not talking about that cup in Psalms chapter 23 of anointing oil that overflows. My cup runneth over. He's not talking about, he's talking about the cup of sorrow and suffering. He's talking about a baptism of divine appointed suffering. Divinely appointed suffering. Divinely appointed suffering. This is what he's speaking of here. They said to him, who's they? James and John. Now they pipe up. Okay, mom's spoken. But yeah, yeah, we can do that. We are able. Go to the, go to the next verse. He says, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. And they did. James was one of the first disciples to be martyred. John endured much tribulation, ended up being exiled on the island of Patmos, received the revelation from Jesus himself, and then he eventually was martyred himself. They drank the cup. They drank the cup. They said, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And that's the word I want to focus on today. Prepared by my Father. Jesus just got done. Showing them, revealing to them the suffering, the trials, the tribulations that they, that he was about to endure for the sake of being raised to greatness. We know now that Jesus has been raised. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us he's been raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are seated with him together in heavenly places. He's reigning and ruling above all principality and all authority. That everything is under his feet. We know Philippians chapter 2 that uh, tells us that he's been given the name above every name. And that everyone at some point in life, whether voluntarily or uh, by force, will proclaim him as Lord. Jesus has been lifted up. But there are challenges in life. Jesus endured challenges. He spoke of challenges that were coming. Now, the issue with tests and trials (coughs) is tests and trials have really gotten a bad name. They've really gotten a bad rap. And most people look at tests and trials with a negative perspective. With a negative perspective. But if you actually look in the Bible, you find out that God had a positive perspective on tests and trials. 
God actually looked at it as a positive thing. Now, before I go any further, I, I, I do want to take care of, of one thing that can possibly be confusing in this, is that God is the one that brings tests and trials. And there is a difference between bringing and allowing. There is a difference between being the force behind it and standing by and watching. Most of the time when we get in a test in a trial, we call on God to deliver us from it. Most of the time we call on God as if it's his fault we're in it. And as if it's his power that will get us out. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good <laughs> up in here. You mean God can't get me out of a trial? Sure can. But the tricky thing is, is he already has. He already has. What does that mean? That means he's put everything in you for you to get out. Yeah. God save me. God help me. God deliver me. Now, trials come by two ways. Number one, they come from the enemy. Number one, they come from the devil, period. He's the one uh, that is out to get you, out to stop you, out to cause you to stumble. But the other way they come out is by our own ignorance. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Sometimes it's just things we don't know yet. Sometimes we get tripped up in stuff we just haven't learned yet. And we got to learn something. We just got to gain some knowledge. And then the other is our disobedience. Being swallowed by a great big fish, I'd call that a trial. I'd call that adversity. Well, God sent the fish. No, Jonah sent the fish. Jonah sent the fish because Jonah disobeyed. Oh, what if he would have just gotten on the boat and went the other direction? What if he would have just gone to Nineveh? I don't think a fish would have shown up. We would have been talking about a different trial. But the thing that I've recognize in the Bible is that God sees trials as positive things. I want to talk to you today about the trials that come in life, not a result of what we do. Because I'll tell you what, if disobedience got you in it, obedience will get you out. So I really don't have to teach four weeks on that one. <laughs> there it is. Obey. Get in alignment. When, when trials and tests and adversity show up, the first place you need to check is in here. Inside. We want to blame everything around us. So we got to check on the inside. And once we've got that in alignment, then we can take on the enemy. See, it's hard to defeat an enemy when you're defeating yourself. It's hard to defeat the enemy over there when you are the enemy. But when we get ourselves right, 
get ourselves back in alignment, back in it. God is so graceful. God is so merciful. God is not standing by trying to trip you up and trying to harm you and trying to keep you out of the purpose he's designed for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, one of our favorite verses, tells us that he has good plans for us to prosper. That's my God. The conversation about God bringing tests and trials in your life and putting things on you and trying to test you, that's a, that's a bunk conversation, and I don't have the conversation. It's very simple. My God is a good God. He cannot do evil. He cannot do harm. He cannot bring ill will towards you. John chapter 10, verse 10. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Not to steal or kill or destroy. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy you every time. But then Jesus responds, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So the qualifier is, is if it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it's the devil. If it's life and life more abundantly, it's God. The end of the story. But now do we endure tests and trials and tribulation? Absolutely. Absolutely. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 32 says this. These things I have spoken to you. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And remember, he told his disciples, he prayed to God about his disciples. He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I don't pray that you take them out of the tribulation, out of the mess. But I pray that you keep them from the evil one. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet, and he's already saying, I have overcome the world. If it's in the world, he's beat it. He's overcome it. He says, in me, you can have peace. See, some of us are just in the world and not in him. When you get in him in the world, you can have peace in the midst of trial and tribulation. So Jesus isn't saying this is a negative thing. In fact, uh, he's pretty much promising. He's pretty much promising that we're going to endure some things. In the New Living, it reads this way. I have told you all this, verse 33. So that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. You know, when when Jesus speaks, man, things happen. Jesus tells the truth. Jesus tells us like, like it is. He says, you will have trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Another verse that I'm sure most of us know. I have, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. See, most of us count it joy when we get out of various trials. The verse says, Count it joy when you fall into various trials. That sounds more positive than negative to me. It's almost like God is saying, look for it. 
like he's preparing you for something. When you fall into. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Most of us want that to read, the testing of my faith produces healing. The testing of my faith produces blessing. The testing of my faith produces more money in the bank account. The the testing of my faith produces children that just obey me and never disobey and and never disregard my my correction. Uh, The testing of my faith produces the, the perfect marriage. No, it says the testing of your faith produces patience. Why? So we can... Endure what's coming ahead. It doesn't even tell you that the testing of your faith gets you out of it immediately. It tells you that the testing of your faith helps you go through it. Wow. Wow. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the New Living Translation. By the way, when he says brothers and sisters, that means he's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to saved people. My uh, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, watch this, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of us are passing up the opportunity? Mm. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your endurance, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, some of us are doing more work to try to get out of a trial than try to get through a trial. We're begging, pleading, praying to God on our hands and knees, wailing, you know, blowing snot everywhere, working up, you know, buying, you know, going through Kleenex boxes like they're candy, you know, yelling at everybody and getting upset with their, you don't know what's going on in my life. And just, you know, doing the whole bit during a trial and tribulation. And he says, consider that an opportunity for great joy. Well, he should be putting on the smile at that point. We should be laughing. We should be praising God that we're getting through it. We're going through it. Psalms chapter 23. Psalms chapter 23. Another one of our favorite passages. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Boy, we love to start. It's almost like he was getting you in it. You know, he's like, they won't read this chapter unless I start out with this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But then he gets down four verses and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Got you now. Got you hooked with the Lord is my shepherd. 
I won't want anything. I, I got everything that I need. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, what does that tell me? Number one, it tells me this. There will be times of walking through the valleys. We all want to live on top of the mountain. But a lot of us want to live on top of the mountain without conquering the mountain. I heard someone put it this way one time. That, you know, in mountain climbing, the goal is to get to the top of the mountain. I forget the number, but there have been multiple people that have tried to conquer Mount Everest. And a lot of people have failed. A lot of people have died. I heard someone say one time, uh, you can't climb a smooth mountain. Uh, you got to climb a mountain that's got the, the edges and the rocks and the sharp corners. And, and so the goal is to get to the top of the mountain. But I can tell you right now, if you were to go over to Mount Everest and anybody's trying to climb it right now, if you flew by in a helicopter and said, hey, I'll pick you up and take you to the top, they wouldn't let you. They consider it an opportunity for great joy to come against the trials because the whole point is I've conquered the mountain. I've defeated the mountain. But right here he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, you are with me. Trials and tests, that's when we feel the most abandoned. And we forget that even though other people will abandon us, we serve someone, and live for someone that never will. He said, I will never forsake you, and I never will leave you. That's our king. That's the one we live for. That's the one we serve. That's the one who died for us. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But nobody knows loneliness and abandonment more than Jesus. He went to the cross alone. He endured all those trials and all that suffering by himself. His closest friends abandoned him. His family abandoned him. Went to the cross alone. But he says right here, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They're all standing around watching me eat from this table. You didn't deliver me out of it. In the midst of it, you've prepared a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And we know it goes on, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Follow me all the days of my life.
Paul was a man that knew suffering, understood tests and trials. His life was marred with tests and trials. If, if you could see Paul at the end of his ministry, you probably would have a hard time recognizing him. You would probably have a hard time, uh, you know, he was probably bent over. Uh, his skin was shredded to pieces from being scourged and whipped and beaten multiple times. The wrinkles on his forehead and, and, and what he wore in his body. For simply wanting to spread the gospel. He made it his mission. Made it his mission. To see people come into the kingdom of God. And to start churches where they could be trained and developed and become mature in the kingdom of God. That was Paul. And he wrote a book, most likely one of the last books that he wrote before he was eventually beheaded. And he wrote this book to a young man that was just getting in ministry. Second Timothy is one of the most phenomenal books you could read. Because it reveals, it identifies, it shows us the preparation and the mindset that you have to have going into a thing. See, tests are never meant to be endured without preparation. I'll say that again. Tests in life, tests of any kind, are never meant to be endured without preparation. It would be unfair to give a test that you have not properly been trained for. And God says himself that you will not be tested beyond a certain level. The tests that come in life always meet your level of development and preparation. I'm going to take you back to a scary time in life, high school. When I think of tests, I think of high school. I think of tests. I was tested. People were testing me. How dare that teacher test me? But you know what? When I look back now, every teacher I had that tested me gave me the opportunity to pass the test. They always prepared me. They always got me ready. Even when the SATs showed up, they gave me little workbooks. And it was up to me to either accept or abandon the preparation. Come on, shout me down right now. She, hey, amen. Miss Myrna here is about ready to run around the room. Preach. She's a high school math teacher. She knows what I'm talking about. Who, who in here was a good test taker? Who in here was a good test? You can all come down front here at the end of service. We will pray for you. We will deliver you. I had a teacher in Bible school that would 
he, he said he was the shop guy. He excelled at shop class. But when it came time to, you know, for math and English, and so he'd always make fun of those. Who, got, who was an A honor roll? And he says, get out of here. You know, you know, not even worth it. <coughs> Amen. There's people that are good test takers. But what makes them a good test taker is preparation. Preparation. And many of us are enduring tests that we didn't endure the preparation for the test. Now, here's the thing, guys. Tests are, are, are like the highlight. If I can use this, a sports metaphor, test is game day. Now, game day, you could fill some stadiums on game day. Everybody want to watch. Everybody wants to watch the game. I mean, some of these high school, or not high school, but some of these college football games. Uh, I, I read online the other day, Ohio State, who's the reigning uh, you know, national champions right now for college football. They had 93,000 people show up to a game. 93,000 people. But where are all those 93,000 people when they're in the weight room? Where's the 93,000 people when they're getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and hit the gym? Where's the 93,000 people when they're getting their bodies worked on from all the hits they're taking? Where's the 93,000 people when they're sitting in a room watching film over and over and over? Where's the 93,000 people for tryouts? Where's the 93,000 people with two-a-days? Where's the 93,000? Where are they? Nobody shows up to watch you practice. I heard one minister put it this way. A lot of us uh, are, are uh, getting discouraged in the midst of tests and trials because we're comparing our behind-the-scenes with somebody else's highlight reel. See, you're in it. You're in the test. You're going through it. And you see somebody else that's making it. But nobody makes it without being tested first. You don't, ho you don't hoist up a national championship trophy without practicing some things. I saw this thing the other day. Um, uh, I, I don't know how many of you watch pro football but in the NFL, there was a phenomenal catch, and I wish I had video of it. I wish I had video of it for you. I wish I brought it. Because there was a catch made, uh, Dallas Cowboys playing the New York Giants, and the, uh, the, the receiver in the end zone made this ridiculous catch, one-handed, almost parallel with the ground. I, I can't replay it for you myself, but I, I can try to give you... Good as I can. Anybody see that catch? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can anyone give me the name of that guy? Does anyone know his name? See, we don't even know the guy's name. We just care about the highlight. You don't even, you don't even know his name. You're not sending him a check. You're, you're not, you know, asking for it. Whatever. So he's like, like this. One hand, he catches it and makes a touchdown. And the, you know, 
defensive guy is just like, like, what do you do there? You just walk away. Props to you, man. That one's worth eight points. Well, don't even bother kicking the field goal. We'll give it to you. That's, that's all of it. And so, but what most people didn't see is before the game, he's out there catching footballs one-handed. I wish I had the clip for you. He's literally out there in practice, got his headphones on, you know, getting all ready for game day, and boom, catching them one-handed, practicing it. Why? Because practice makes practice makes proficient. Proficient makes perfect. Practice. Practice. Oh, we hate practice. I got any high school football players in here? Come on. Got some football practices that you remember. Getting up early, out in the sun, doing the same drill. The same. Have I not shown you? Have I not proven to you? And you know what? There are guys in the pros that still mess up even the simplest of plays. But practice makes proficient. Practice makes perfect. It's in the practice. You know, I, I was talking with Pastor Daryl Huffman. Many of you may remember he was just here a few months ago. And he was talking about Kenneth E. Hagan, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. Some of you in this room are familiar with him and his ministry. I graduated from his Bible school, over 60,000 uh, students. By the way, I just want to give a little plug for Rama. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday is International Rama Day. They have over uh, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of churches around the world. The sun never sets on a Rama church. Preaching the gospel. Have graduated over 60,000 students. And next Sunday, you'll have an opportunity right here in this service to give towards Rhema. I am a product of Rhema. Earl Glisten, Pastor Earl Glisten is a product of Rhema. We have graduates that are now plugged into this ministry because of Rhema. So you want to take an opportunity to sow and invest into that ministry. We'll give more at the end. But Kenneth E. Hagin, when I grew up, I saw the end of his ministry. I saw the 80s and the 90s. I saw the guy that, you know, was doing all right. I saw the guy that had everything he needed and, and, and was prospering. Daryl Huffman told me that he would personally give for Winter Bible Seminar that they, that they do in February and their summer camp meeting that they do in July. He would personally give $100,000 out of his own money to each of those things. His own account. had plenty. And there are ministers that get into ministry because of that, because of the highlight reel. But if you ever read any of his books, you'll hear the stories of when he lived in an apartment and his son had to sleep in the kitchen. you hear the stories of where he was traveling, ministering on four bald tires. Any of them could have popped at any time. You could, you could hear the stories of he'd be traveling uh, with no money to get gas, and he's just believing God that he'll have a, enough gas in the tank to get where he's going. I mean, even the story of how he was born, and he died when he was 16 years old and was raised back to life. 
And we don't talk about those things. We, we talk about the highlight reel. We talk about the Lexus. And we talk about the big house. And we talk about the planes. And we talk about this large ministry with this large budget. Why? Because we want to skip the practice. We want to abandon the preparation but get the same result. God told us there is nothing that he will test you for that he hasn't put in you to handle. And he won't test you beyond. He won't test you beyond. Look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. We've got a guy going out. We've got a guy coming in. We've got a guy that's crossing the finish line. And we got another one that's lining up on the starting line. And Paul is giving him admonishment. Paul is giving Timothy encouragement. This is how you start. God is a God that wants people to finish and finish strong. Look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In the Amplified, it reads like this. I don't think I gave you this one, Jimmy, but you guys can just listen. It says this, take with me your share of the hardships and suffering, which you are called to endure. See, part of the calling is the trials and the hardships, the suffering and the sorrow. That comes with the calling. Take with me your share of the hardships and suffering which you are called to endure as a good first-class soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4 reads like this. No soldier when in service gets entangled in the enterprises of a civilian life. His aim is to satisfy and please the one who enlisted him. His aim is to satisfy and please the one who enlisted him. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 reads this way. This is Paul at the end of his journey. Just to give you a little background, when he wrote this book, he's sitting in a prison. See, there was one time he was in prison, but he was given a nice house, and, and he was able to study and write and do the things that he needed to do. People could even come and visit him as, as freely and as often as they want. But then he got out, and then he was captured again. He was arrested again, but this time wasn't so good. This time he's in the bottom of a dungeon. This time he can't see anybody. This time he's writing letters, please come see me. He's sending to Timothy and he was hoping that uh, he, he was hoping that Timothy would be able to come and see him. And he began to realize, I'm running out of time. Uh, you, he, you may not make it to me. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. My time of departure is at hand. Look what he says. I have fought 
the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me. Here's the result. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a quote, there's a phrase some of you may have heard before, being forewarned is being forearmed. I'm forewarning you, I'm forearming you. Today life comes with trials and tests, and your preparation is necessary. Your preparation is necessary. Preparation must supersede challenges. Preparation must supersede challenges. You look through the Bible and you look to those who were tested. You know, you might look at them and say, wow, these people are being tested in things they've never done before. Noah never built a boat. David never killed a giant. Abraham never had a child. And yet God is testing them. God is asking of them something that they have never done before. But if you read in between the lines... You find out there was preparation there. doesn't tell us a whole lot about Noah, but it does tell us that he was a righteous man. So God knew I can test you with building a boat because you've listened to me and heeded my commands before. God knew he could approach Abraham and, and make him the father of many nations because this was a man that left everything he knew to step out on nothing. knew that he could send David out to defeat Goliath because this was a man that when nobody was watching was placing his trust in the Lord, defeating the lion, defeating the bear, and, and, and developing a relationship, knowing his covenant with his king, and knowing if I step in front of anything that comes, to, comes up against me, I can defeat it. There was practice there, and you didn't even see it. There was preparation going on. There was two-a-days. There was times where nobody was nobody talks about those things. We talk about the father of many nations and the great faith. We talk about the man that was about to uh, lay down his own son on an altar and then rising about to strike him. The angel shows up. But there was testing climbing that mountain. We don't talk about those things. We talk about the king that is seated on most high, but we don't talk about the garden where Jesus was sweating drops of blood knowing the trial and the test and the suffering he was about to endure. Look at this in the Amplified, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <coughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 5. I think we're going to start with verse 6 on the screen. It says, As for you, be calm and cool and steady. Accept 
and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fully perform all the duties of your ministry. For I am already about to be sacrificed. My life is about to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my spirit's release from the body is at hand and I will soon go free. I have fought the good, worthy, honorable, and noble fight. I have finished the race. I have kept firmly held the faith. As to what remains, henceforth there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness for being right with my God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that day, on that great day, not to me only, but also to those, all those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing, his return. Guys, no one shows up to watch a practice. But the reason they show up to watch the test is because you did practice. It's because you did prepare. First thing we got to know, guys, number one, is that there will be tests and trials. There will be tests and trials in life. You know, being in ministry and being a pastor, I hear a lot about the tests and the trials of ministry and what pastors endure, what pastors go through in ministry. They say today, in the 70s, the average tenure of a pastor was 30 years. Today, as of the 90s and on, the average tenure of a pastor is 15 years. It's literally been cut in half. I was telling someone the other day, you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a pastor. I always felt called to ministry. But I guess I always pictured myself pastoring in the 90s. (laughs) And pastoring today is more difficult. In one sense, every area has had their challenges. Every area has had their trials. But in today, it's difficult. Ministry is a difficult, it's not a career. It's a calling. And with the calling come the trials and the tribulations and the sufferings and the sorrows. But man, what are we warned? How could Paul, sitting in a dungeon alone, all by himself. People have abandoned him. If you read in Second Timothy in the first chapter, he says, many have fallen away from me, and he even names a couple people. How would you like to have your name in the Bible as someone that abandoned the apostle that's in the dungeon? They are forever written in the Bible as someone that has left. And yet he can say, but great is the reward. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. There's a crown of righteousness. Guys, he wasn't even looking for a natural reward. He wasn't even saying, you know, there's one day I'm going to get out of this jail cell and I'm going to build me a church that's got 10 campuses and I'm going to have the Lexus I've always wanted and I'm going to have this staff that just loves me and appreciates me and and cares for the body. And, And he's... 
have a TV ministry, to have the diamonds and the gold and the jewelry. And He's not even looking for a natural reward. He's saying, my crown is in heaven. Are you willing to endure in life for a crown and for a reward that you will never obtain in this life? Challenges and challengers. Guys, there, the Bible is full of people that took on challenges. Took on challenges. And we're going to identify a few of them. We're going to look at their life. We're going to dissect their lives, their lives so that we can see what makes us victorious. Last thing I want to finish with is the challenges bring victory. See, some people have a perspective of challenges bring defeat. And another person can see a challenge as bringing victory. I told you at the very beginning that the teacher and the student have two different perspectives of the same test. The teacher sees progression. The teacher sees advancement. You know that you don't go from one level to the next without going through a test? Oh, man, if we could just see what's on the other side of the test. If we could just see what's on the other side of the challenge. Promotion always comes with a test. Guys, we're living in a generation today more so than any other ever in our time that this world has ever seen that wants to abandon the test for the reward. That wants to abandon the preparation. That wants the six-digit salary without being faithful with the 30000 or the 40,000. Life is about promotion. It never stops. In the kingdom, life is about promotion. The master has handed you a talent, just like we began with, and there's a test. Because what you handle today determines what you can handle tomorrow. If you can't pass a test, in the sixth grade, you won't get to the seventh. This, this, this is life. This is life. Life is hard. You know, one of my favorite quotes from John Wayne. Life is hard. Life is harder when you're stupid. Anyone heard that one? You heard it? Yeah. I'm not here to give you a negative outlook, guys. I'm not here to tell you that life is just full of tests and trials and, 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 and struggles and just make you all beat down. I'm here to tell you that the victory is inside of you. Everything you need to overcome, any trial in your life has already been put within you. He will not test you beyond where you're at. So we welcome trials. We welcome the struggles. 
because we know that we can overcome. We know that we have overcome, and we know that enduring the challenge today brings me promotion tomorrow. Goliath was really the smallest of David's trials. He was tested for 14 years being anointed king. Would he still submit to the king? And that test promoted him to be the king. Abraham endured a test. You can read about it in Romans chapter 4. In hope against all hope. Endured. Guys, I want us to face challenges, face struggles, face trials and tribulations and tests, knowing that we can't overcome, and it's only there to propel us to the next thing. Don't lose sight of what's on the other side of the mountain for the mountain that's in front of you. Don't be praying to get out of it. Be praying to get through it. God, what is it that you want me to learn? You know, I've come to recognize in my own life that there's things that he's working internally rather than externally. And I focus on the external stuff, and I don't realize he's doing something in here. Oh, this person would just get her. I can't believe they do that. And God is testing me to see how I'll respond in that situation. It's been a test the whole time, and I didn't even know it. Preparation. You know, Pastor Mike in St. Augustine always said, preparation is never wasted time. Preparation time is never wasted time. we got to take those opportunities to prepare. Because the tests are coming. But the tests are there to promote us, not demote us. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning that you... First of all, you are with us in the midst of a challenge, in the midst of despair, in the midst of struggles in our lives. You promise to never leave us, to never forsake us. But Father, we thank you that as challenges arise, we look to you. We look to you, not praying and begging to get out of it, but that we will get through it. By the power you've placed inside of us. Father, there's too much greatness inside of us to quit. There's too much greatness inside of us to bow out. There's too much greatness inside of us. The preparation is there. The testing comes to prove what is within us. And we thank you, Father, that every challenge and every test that is overcome, you receive all the glory, you receive all the praise, you receive all the honor. You will be lifted up. And there's no circumstance, no situation that's too great for you and for what you've placed inside of us. And we thank you and praise you for this this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.